Welcome to the Fleet Success Show. We are a podcast dedicated to talking about the fundamentals, standards, and best practices that empower today's fleets to achieve fleet success. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome back for another episode of the Fleet Success Show. I'm your host, Josh Turley, joined today by Jeff Jenkins. Hey, how's it going? It's going so good. So good. Here we are. So today we're going to talk about uh, kind of a little preview. Uh, we're going to FleetCon next week. Uh, two weeks. 19. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's next week. So here we are. <laughs> I I know. Calendars are hard. Dude, it's, I'm telling you, September is crazy it's for It's flying me. by. You know what? I was telling my wife the other day, I'm like, you know, in four months, Christmas is here. And she's like, no, don't say that. Well, I'm, it I'm, is four months. It's four months, right? And normally... She's done with all of her Christmas shopping and everything else. Like she's done. And by she now. hasn't started. She hasn't even started this year. <laughs> so it kind of panicked her a little bit. So yeah. to everybody listening, right? Like you know, it's two months until Halloween, a month there, you know, three months till Thanksgiving, and four until Christmas. Like we're if you're not shopping right now, you know, like I go to the store and Costco's already got Christmas stuff out. It's crazy. That is crazy. It's September. Like it's a bit nuts. Like come on, guys, keep that in the back shelves at least until October. But so you know what Jeff does at Christmas? Hmm. He doesn't buy presents for his kids anymore. No, I'm a vacation guy. Yeah, we go on vacation at Christmas. Hey, like you're kind of getting me on this bandwagon, I because we're enjoying that. It's great. Yeah, I love it. I, maybe we'll uh, we'll do that. It's a lot cheaper. Well, it is a lot cheaper, but also well, I, can, the, so I guess it depends. When you have eight kids, it might it's not be probably not cheaper. Yeah. But they play with a toy for a couple weeks. It breaks, or they forget about it, and then it's gone. So we're just like, you know what? Experience over ma- materialistic things. Whatever. Things. That's not what we were going to talk about today, but I thought it was a fun segue. It so, is. Uh, anyway, so FleetCon next week. FleetCon next week in Las Vegas. We're going to be there. Yep. Um, and we wanted to give a little preview of the topic because I, I just saw this come up on a, link post, a LinkedIn post last week. Uh, and it's a topic I'll be presenting on is, you know, how do you go about one of our biggest challenges in our industry? And it's been our biggest challenge until probably the last couple of years. Um, was technician retention. The last couple of years, the biggest challenge has really been getting vehicles, right? Like supply chain issues. Yes. But technician retention, I think, is still like, it's still the number one thing. It's just not the most prevalent thing. It, but it's a, it's quickly going to come back to being the number one thing again. Well, it is because that old equipment, because of supply chain issues, yep. you're going to have more and more equipment break down. Those yep. turn cycles aren't going to be as, as good. And the problem with the technician shortage is no one wants to be a technician. Like right. you talk about the stigma behind it. Yeah. You know, Mike Rowe really pushes, right, technical skills. Trades. Yes. Right. Let's go into the trade, right, which is fantastic because someone with a trade makes a ton of money. I almost wonder if we could get him to speak at the Fleet Success Summit. Gosh. That'd be that'd great. Be, yeah. I wanna, we're going to find out what a speaker fee is. That would be awesome. But um, so that's part of the problem is like people nowadays, they don't want to go in and do something like that. Right. And a lot of it is stigma. A lot of it is actually having to be out in the heat or working with your hands, which isn't as glamorous as some of the other things that are out there. So it definitely affects people's perception of that trade. Yeah. And like you go to the high schools and the high schools, I know even as far back as when I was going through school, there was a huge shift in the curriculum to like where they're pushing everybody to STEM, right? And it's, hey, go into tech, go into computers, go into application development. And there's still a lot of job opportunity out there. And so a lot of people are still going that direction because they see it as 
uh, like you talk about working conditions in some of these shops, you don't have those same issues in a computer shop, you know, where it's, it's all bright colors and it's well lit and it's air conditioned and you work with, you know, a keyboard and mouse and it's not hard labor. Well, in the last two years, like with the push for people to work remotely, right? That's also like people think about entirely white collar. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to go into an office every day or I don't want to go into a shop every day. Yeah. I could just sit at home or go somewhere else and work at a computer in an air conditioned building. Yeah. And so they're because of that stigma, like these schools are, they're pushing everybody STEM. Even if somebody wanted to get into the automotive trade, uh, like if you wanted to find a, a school that offered a shop, you know, automotive shop mm-hmm. used to be in every school. And now, like I know here in Peoria, like I think it might still be at one school. I don't even know if Sunrise still offers it. So it is. So my kid, <laughs> he had marketing this year and he yeah. wanted to, he didn't like it. So he wanted to get out. So he day two went to auto. Okay. Right. Spent all day in the auto shop that they had there. I was like, yeah, I'm going back to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Failing our own children. <laughs> But that's, so at least they still have it. They do have it. Right. There. Yeah. But I think they're the only school in a district of eight or nine high schools that offers that. And so like they actually have to bus the kids from, you know, other high schools to that high school for the auto shop class. Right. Um, and so it's interesting is seeing that shift, you know, if somebody wanted to do marketing or some business classes or computers, guaranteed every high school is offering that. Yes. Right. And so they, like you don't have necessarily the obstacles there. Um, even if you were looking around at like trade schools, you know, here locally we have UTI, you know, Universal Technical mm-hmm. Institute, um, which is a terrible abbreviation, by the way. Like they should have really thought that through a little he, bit better. He should have. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, you have MMI, the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute. Yes. You have the uh, Maritime. Yep. Uh, I think DeVry even offers some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't see a ton of those trade schools out there, like Wyotech and maybe some others in each state, like some local community colleges maybe, but you don't see the necessarily the, the same level. I see coding boot camps everywhere. You don't see that with auto. No, you used to see commercials all the time on TV yeah. when it came to these trades or technical colleges. Not, not I anymore. I remember the last time I saw one. What was the other? AAI? Automotive something or other? Yeah, there was another one. That was on the commercials all the time. Yeah. Um, so we've got the society issue, right? There's a stigma towards the trades. We can't fix that. No. Right. Like us as shop managers, you know, we can, we can try, we can try to get in with, you know, like some of the community colleges programs. We can try to get in with some of the local schools and like offer mentorships and offer like, Hey, come take a tour of the, of the schoolyard or something like that. Uh, but man, we're so busy with everything else. Like who's got time to, you know, that's really something for like more of a NAFA level. Like these trade associations, like yeah. that would be an excellent use of their time and some of their resources. So what do we do as you know, fleet managers and shop managers? I think the first thing is recognizing that there is a scarcity of talent. And whenever there's a scarcity, that's when you have competition, right? When there's no yeah. scarcity, then like there's no competition. You just go out and do whatever you want. Yeah. But when there's a scarcity, that means that you are in competition with other people for good talent. Um, which means you have to set yourself apart. You have to figure out what your competitive advantage is against somebody else. Um, not everybody's going to have a full staff of, of technicians available. And that's like, that's an unfortunate reality, but it is the reality. You know, in the words of Jim Collins, we got to confront the brutal facts sometimes. That's a brutal fact of where we're at right now. Um, because of that, that means that we have to find things that we can use as a competitive advantage to recruit and retain our technicians and our talent. Right. And then the biggest one that always comes out first is, <laughs> well, we just need to be able to pay more. 
right? And and I agree. I was looking, you know, I was watching this video that I saw on LinkedIn, and it talked about the average median technician salary. It's somewhere between thirty-five thousand for somebody starting off, and they can get all the way up to seventy-six thousand mm-hmm. in the ninetieth percentile. It's crazy, right? I will tell you, is like our receptionists start off higher than a low than the, your junior technicians. And they didn't go to school. And they didn't go to school. They're like out of high school just answering phones. Yep. Right? Like that's crazy to me. The median salary was $49,000, which is just painfully low. It is painfully low. And there's <laughs> not a whole lot we can do about it. I mean, we, we want to see that raise, and that will help draw in more talent from outside, right? Like as an industry, we want to see that go up. The other brutal fact that we have to recognize, though, is even if we increase our wages, right? Like, let's say I'm a, I'm a, you know, a dealership, and I want to start paying my technicians, you know, uh, thirty dollars an hour instead of twenty-five. There's always going to be somebody else that has more resources than you. Yes. So, on that note, when I was running Fleetwood, yeah, we had the same issue that we could not get technicians, and so the solution was always from the shop manager: well, we need to pay them more. The moment we increase pay, the Peterbilt dealership down the road increased it higher. Yeah. Because that was our competition. It's an arms race. Yeah. And then there's always somebody that's got more arms. You know, like they just have more. You guys want a fun history lesson. The way the U.S. beat the Soviets, it wasn't that we had better technology. You know, like we had good technology. But and it wasn't necessarily that we had better scientists either. Is that we had the better economic engine. We could breader, We could butter our bread. Like, and that's, they couldn't do that in the Soviet Union. And so not only could we pay for the nuclear reactors and the nuclear missiles, but we could also pay for everything else. And they had to pick and choose. They had to pick and choose. They had scarcity. Um, And that's what happens in an arms race is like, you can't get sucked into that trap of just, well, we just have to raise our rates because there's always going to be somebody that, yeah, you go from 25 to 30 and the dealership down the road is now at 32, Right you have to find other ways to entice technicians and keep them. Well, what you also have to think about in that pay is what other benefits do you add that's yeah. included in that, right? Because there's a lot of places, like we used to charge for, uh, you know, our, our, uh, our technicians. We used to make them pay to get their uniforms that we required them to wear cleaned by Cintas. Hmm. So we would charge them $35 every single week to clean something we were forcing them to wear. So I got on there like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Right. right. But you think about pay. So you're getting paid X amount, but then what am I charging them or what are they not, the benefits of not, right, yeah. not having a, a, uh, a tool stipend or something like that. Yeah. And, and so you look at those things. I was shocked as I watched this video. They said that a lot of these technicians, and maybe this is just a dealership thing versus, you know, like a county job or a, a government job. But a lot of these technicians at the dealerships, they, they don't get um, PTO and they don't get 401k. Uh, and they don't have, um, oh, what was the other thing they mentioned that was like kind of an obvious, like, wait a minute, why aren't they entitled to that? Uh, but like, there's just standard benefits, health insurance, health. Oh, yeah. you know, and like they weren't entitled to health insurance and we weren't sure as well, maybe they're cutting their hours or something. So they're not crossing the full-time threshold. Right. You know, maybe they're lower than 30 hours or they're 1099ing them or they're 1099ing them or something, or they're a different class of W2 employee. Uh, but I thought that was interesting is like, that's a huge thing that. You know, if you aren't offering just some of the basic benefits that a normal position, you're like, we offer 401k to our receptionists. Yeah. I can't think of a technician wanting to work at a job where they don't have either a pension or some type of retirement plan, health insurance benefits. Like, that's a basic staple of life. 
you know, like I can't imagine going through life without health insurance or having to pay for it on my own out of the exchanges. Oh, it's a big deal. And so if you're looking for other ways to maybe not necessarily increase their direct pay, but offer other benefits, you know, their total compensation packages, those are things that you should be looking at. Well, because they'll look at it. Right. They, they uh, It's funny because a lot of people, when they first start a job, they don't actually ask about benefits. At least that's been my experience, especially on the technician side. Yeah. However, once they're in the job and they're working and they start to see what they don't have or what's right. not available to them, they'll start looking other places. And right. the moment someone offers them something that you are denying them, they'll jump ship. Yep. And that's not just based on like what their pay is. Right. Because that total comp is what they actually will look at. So the other thing that I think a lot of shops overlook, and they actually got into this in a little bit in this video, and this is what my whole session is on next week, um, is if you can't outspend your competition, you have to find other ways to have a competitive advantage. Yes. Getting in the ballpark, like this is my opinion, is you have to be in the ballpark with your pay. You can't be at 20 and somebody else is at 30. No. Like you're not even playing in the same league. Right. But you have to get close. You don't have to match. And, you know, if you're within a dollar or two, you're fine. You right. know, you're, if you talk about a, the difference for somebody at a dollar an hour over a year, 2080. Right. Like it's not that big a deal. Right. right? If you're within the ballpark, you don't have to be the top, but you got to be in the ballpark. Uh, if five dollars an hour, that's 10 grand. Right. So it, it now starts, you're starting to make some difference. You're starting to see the difference. Right. But two, three dollars an hour, you could probably stomach that. The main difference the main thing that you have to really create is you have to focus on and it's something that you could totally have control over which is why i love doing this is that you focus on your culture you focus on the environment and the shop environment you focus on things like how do we treat our employees um i got a video the other day somebody sent it to me and he says you want to know if a company really cares about their employees go look at the kind of toilet paper they buy <laughs> if they buy Cheap ass one, one ply, ply toilet paper. They don't give a crap about you. Literally, <laughs> they literally don't give a crap about you. And and I bet you if you go to their house, right, like they're buying themselves that quilted Northern Charmin squeeze puff stuff, five ply. Right? Yeah. That's like super soft, and you could butter your face with this, right? right. But um, you know, so actually, like I saw that video, I'm like, I wonder what kind of toilet paper I buy. <laughs> Thankfully, I buy the same stuff I buy for my house, which is all Kirkland Signature stuff from Costco. We're all good. We're all good. Right. And I even go a step further. I got the flushable wipes too, you know, but it's little things like that. Like what kind of environment do you create? And there's some just intangible perks. You know, do you have a well-lit area? Do you have a, you know, HVAC installed in your garage? It's a big one. Uh, how you know, clean is it, right? How clean is it? Is it, you know, it's like, there, do you take pride in the cleanliness and the appearance? Is everything organized? Um, do you, do you make your technicians pay for their uniforms? Do you make them pay to get them cleaned? Or is that a service you provide? Do you offer them Walmart pays for all their tools? You know how many people, like Steve and I talked about this on an episode was that, uh, technicians have to go out and buy their own tools. Yes. No other company, no software company does that. Like I wouldn't make Tim go buy his own laptop. Right. Sorry. Hey, thanks for coming on and being a part of my company, Tim. But you're going to go ahead and buy your own computer. Yeah, that is like, that's a, that's a 1099 system. person right there. Yeah. Like having to provide your own, which is weird. And tools are not cheap. No. It, and so you take somebody that's making 50 grand a year and they have to go out and buy $30,000 worth of tools that's a big investment that they now, right? And and where do they leave those tools? They got to leave them in your shop. So now you have to insure their investment. Like, oh. Well, and some places won't even do that. Yeah. They'll say lock them up. Yeah. Lock them up in your uh, in your toolbox. Yeah. 
take them home. They're in your truck, right? And I'm like, that's just the, it's the weirdest part of this, of this industry that I've never understood. But it's something that we as, you know, as shop owners, as shop managers, we can kind of control that a little bit, right? If we can't increase their pay, what are other areas that we could do something, right? And if it's a shared toolbox, if it's, well, look, we buy these tools for us and we keep them. And, you know, as technicians rotate through, they just, they don't have to bring in their tools and we can keep, you know, it's something like you invest in once and it's a cry once, buy once kind of thing. It is. And I can already, I can already hear the dissent about, well, they just, tools tend to disappear. I mean, hell, they disappear at my house. Yeah, right. right? Well, tools yeah. disappear. And it's like, okay, well, guess what? If you have the right people. And it's also, you know, and that's where you do inventory controls. You know, mm-hmm. parts disappear out of parts rooms. That's why we do inventories to look for shrinkage and things like that. Shadow box your stuff up on your pegboard and make sure that, you know, like it's part of the nightly process is, is everything back in this place it's supposed to be. Yeah. As part of Six Sigma, right? Is, is everything's back in the appropriate place or what do they call that? 5S or something like that. Um, but you kind of go through that and it's, it's those little things, uh, you know, offering them 401k health insurance, looking at those things, creating that kind of culture where you have good leadership. We talked about one-on-ones and stay interviews, um, you know, do little things like just do a barbecue every month or, you know, just celebrate the wins, celebrate people doing an awesome job or giving awesome customer service, uh, celebrate anniversaries, just help people feel appreciated and engaged. And like, they won't want to leave because they'll enjoy their environment. Um, and when you build a culture, this is something that Patrick Lencioni talks about in the advantage is a lot of people neglect organizational health and having a healthy team as just fluffy stuff. But you build that kind of a culture in an organization, you won't have people leaving for two or three dollars more an hour. Five, maybe. But even then, like you're you're now able to do more with a lot less because you focused on the overall organization instead of just the pay. And the thing that people don't think about is yeah, they may leave you for five dollars more, but they're probably gonna come back. Yeah. They'll regret it. Because it's not about money. They're yeah. gonna have a much rougher go round at a terrible culture and what exists there that it, the money just won't be worth it. Yeah. Uh, somebody else on, on LinkedIn posted a, a story about, Hey, um, you know, you can sit there and, and work in a terrible environment, you know, and if you just work hard enough, like you can succeed. And I agree with that. Like you can grind through anything. Yes. Um, but my analogy was, yeah, you could pretty much go, you know, off-roading in the jungle, but it's going to be slow going. It's going to be rough. And you're going to get dented up and beat up, but you can do it. Or you could go to somewhere that's paved the road and open up the throttle and coast along with way less energy and you get way further down the road, right? So like, why wouldn't you want to work at a place that's already paved the road and create an environment that's smooth? And I will just say people cannot survive anything for a period of time. Right. My first VP job, I had the most lucrative executive bonus that I've ever, like it, it could have been worth millions of dollars over a five-year span. Yeah. And I kept telling myself I can last five years. I can hold out. 18 I can, months. I can hold out. 18 months is as long as I could hold out. Right. Just because, I mean, it, if you guys have listened to the podcast for a while, it was the place where the CEO came in and wrote fu- the F word. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Yeah. All over, the, all over the whiteboard and threw the marker across, but it was that place and that culture was terrible. And I tell you, I... It just couldn't, you can't take that for so right. long. As much as mentally you think like, okay, I can white knuckle through this. Like yeah. your willpower eventually just is like, ah, I can't. Yep. It's not worth it. It's no not amount of mental money. energy. Yep. So uh, on that, hopefully if you're going to Fleet Con, you can come by, check out the session. Uh, we'll have some awesome 
tips and tricks on different things you can try to implement and improve your culture. Uh, so you can hang on to the technicians you like and you can recruit and use that as a tool uh, as a competitive advantage in a scarce environment, you know, in an environment where technicians are in short supply and you're having to compete against, you know, nationwide chains or dealerships that seem to have unlimited resources to throw at their disposal yep. um, and how you overcompensate for that. So uh, that's going to do it for us for today. As a reminder, we do have the Fleet Success Playbook with a lot of this stuff in it, a yes. whole section, 150 pages on building an intentional culture. Uh, you can email us if you're interested in a copy of the book, uh, podcast at rtfleet.com. And then we have Fleet Success Co Summit coming up. We do, and we've got our third speaker we can announce. All right, go for it. All right, so we are very excited to announce that Mr. Don Osterberg has agreed to come and speak with us as well. Um, and he's going to be talking about risk management. If you don't know who Don is, uh, I met him when I went to work at Schneider. He was their, I think he was the EVP um, over there, over their safety program. Great guy, very intelligent, a um, lot of great stories, uh, just a lot of great experience. And he is a, a leader in the area of risk management. So we're really excited to be able to say that he's going to come to the summit this year. I heard all about him, and I was like, all right, this is going to be fun. Oh, he's great. So I'm telling you, not. I mean, he probably could speak on any topic that we asked him to and yeah. do a great job. He's that good of a guy. Awesome. Well, and, we, and we've already got Mike Pitcher signed up, and we've got Sam Bradford yes, coming Sam Bradford. again. Yep. This is killing. This is going to be a killer lineup. And it's we've got good. some good ones in the wings, too, that I'm like, ooh. We do. 2.0 is going to be even better than 1.0, and 1.0 was awesome. If, if you can imagine it being better. It's going to be. It's yeah. going to be for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, go to fleetsuccesssummit.com if you want to find out more about that and get registered. Until next time. Adios. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Fleet Success Show. If you like the show, we'd appreciate your five-star review. Be sure to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts and come hang out with us on social media at Fleet Success. See you next time.